reached the end of a very busy week. Hello, welcome in to the show that shakes up the Southland. We are the Y'all Show. John Rawl is my name, and we encourage you to reach out to us when you have the opportunity as we have this program for all y'all. Our email address is mail mail at y'all.com. Yeah, we have reached the end of the week, and we hope that you all have a great weekend, maybe plenty of activity going on. That is, if you can dodge the heat and dodge the storms. My goodness, we've actually had, in some portions of the south this week, historic highs for rainfall. I'll let you know what happened in East Tennessee in the last few days in terms of that here in our headlines across the south. As speaking of headlines, we do have plenty of headlines coming to you on today's Y'all Show. Included with our stories today, President Trump confronted on a golf course. What in the world is that all about? Also, we've got a breakdown now that Mississippi has set up its primary and then have completed their primary this week. Up next is the state of Louisiana, and we've got a breakdown of who all is running for governor in the Pelican State. We've got a story about that coming up in our headlines today. A, a tragic story. I don't know if y'all have heard about this, but evidently in Texas, three people who are listed as dog hunters, and they were from Florida, They've all died in an underground tank trying to rescue their dog. I'll give you what happened there. Again, three people from Florida that were in Texas have now died trying to rescue their dog. We'll give you all of that information. Plus, sad news out of the Birmingham area. A Pinson Valley High School basketball rising star has died. And we'll let you know what happened to this youngster as he had a medical emergency at school and the young basketball player has passed away we'll give you all the latest developments out of the state of alabama in that case also we'll let you know about the mayor of the he's the youngest black mayor i think ever elected and he got into a little an accident in the last few days and it's just a bizarre story of earl arkansas mayor jalen smith so he is going down the road at 19 years old. He's the mayor of Earl, Arkansas. And he gets into an accident because somebody rides out in front of him on a bicycle. I think it was a teenage cyclist that just drove right in front of him. And so they all end up going to the hospital in Memphis. And while they're in the hospital, the ambulance that took them over to Memphis, it gets stolen and then that guy gets into a wreck. We'll give you what the world's going on in Earl and in Memphis in our headlines today of the y'all show also we got an update from north carolina that roller coaster at carowinds the one that somebody discovered and said hey I, I i don't think this is supposed to be this way well guess what this roller coaster is back in business and so if you want to get to the north carolina south carolina border where the theme park carowinds is fury 325 the giga coaster is back up and going if you're brave enough to to get on that thing yes as the state of north carolina reopening after a large crack launched a state investigation into this roller coaster i i would love to just get a head count of how many people are i won't say crazy enough i'm sure the state officials have done a great job making sure it's all up to speed but i wouldn't want to be one of the first people on that daggum thing and we also have a story today out of the state of Missouri, where a naked man with a chainsaw has now been changed with burglary. Yeah, 
sometimes crazy story and crazy headlines don't always come exclusively from the Sunshine State. They sometimes come from the Show Me State. We'll give you an informational update on that. Plus, a woman in Virginia has burped her way into the world record books. Burp, burp. Spotsylvania County woman broken the world record in the Guinness variety for the loudest burp ever by a female. Hmm. I don't know if we've got audio of that, but we, we, we might gross you out. But, hey, congratulations to this Virginian getting into the Guinness World Book. <laughs> Way to go, Spotsylvania County lady. <laughs> so those are some of the news headlines we got coming up on today's Y'all Show. We also have plenty of sports information, conference realignment, conference expansion, conference changes, and more. I, always, I saw where there is a new member in the FCS Division CAA, the CAA Conference, which was the Colonial. Now it's the, I don't even know what it stands for. They've added a new member. They got 16 football playing members now in this FCS division. I'll give you the info on that. Plus, the Mountain West Conference is trying to figure out what it's going to do in the future as the ACC is trying to figure out what they're going to do with Stanford and Cal. So we'll have all that college sports information to pass along plus thursday night it was the first big night at least of preseason football and the houston texans were in action cj stroud was out doing his thing he went two for four for 13 yards had an interception but it was a good night for the texans in their preseason game we'll give you the the rundown and now i know why i saw a guy running around town with a Seattle Seahawks DK Metcalf jersey, and then I think his girlfriend had a similar Seahawks-related paraphernalia on, too. They were getting ready for the preseason of NFL football. And again, there were a couple games Thursday. We've got some here on this Friday, and then there's a handful even Saturday and Sunday. I'll walk through the schedule of the NFL preseason on today's Y'all Show, plus an update from the golf course as we've got the FedEx St. Jude Championship going on in Memphis this weekend. It is the first of the playoff tournaments going on over the next couple of weeks and there's a lot of money at stake and you've got to be, I think, in the top, is it 70 or 80 golfers in the world to even qualify to be in Memphis this weekend? And so it's an elite field. Jordan Spieth had the lead after the first round. It was rather sloppy out there, rather, rather muddy and wet, but Jordan Spieth capture the lead after round one another story out of the fedex st jude is that golfer colin morikawa has now pledged a thousand dollars per birdie to help out with the maui aid so congratulations to him on that that's going to help out man what a disaster that is out there with more than i think 55 people is the latest death count of the maui fires that are just devastating that island in the Aloha State. Colin Morikawa stepping up. Hopefully others will do the same thing. What a great job by him. But what if every golfer out there pledged the same and pledged even more than $1,000 per birdie? Come on, that's it ought to be a million dollars, frankly. We, we will find out. This is a, a story that we'll keep you updated on. But yes, we've got golf news to tell you about as they've got this big financial opportunity with the FedEx St. Jude Championship coming up over the weekend and they've already got round one in the books there from Southwind in the Memphis area. 
So we got sports headlines to get to in this first hour. We got ICYMI in case y'all missed it. We were in Muscle Shoals, Alabama on Thursday, and we've got an encore of our interview at least a portion of our interview that we did with Terrell Benton. He is the tour guide there at the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. And we're going to go back in and hear a portion of that great interview. It was really, really neat to do an interview in a sound studio. Yeah, we love our studio here at the Y'all Show, but boy, the history that the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio has, and for us to be able to go in there and stick a microphone in front of Mr. Benton and talk to him about the incredible history of this place in Sheffield, Alabama, was pretty dang neat. So we'll have a portion of that interview coming up before this hour is up. Hour two today, our buddy Paul Hare is going to be dropping by. He's with the Hare Financial Group. He'll talk about what's been going on on Wall Street in the last few days. And I mentioned to somebody that had me come on and promote the financial week of Paul Hare appearance on this y'all show. And the, the sentiment was, well, things are not good well let's let paul Hare <laughs> explain when he stops by in our second hour of today's y'all show plus we'll take a look at some new movies there's a movie called jailer hitting theaters this weekend and one called jewels we'll give you the scoop on both of these movies and the other handful of movies hitting the box office this weekend also before we get out of here in our final hour today we're going to have a fun first segment of the third hour as we always do we get the third hour going with david lee murphy's party crowd but then we find something in the archives and kind of give you a little bit of a history lesson and we're going to kind of piggyback off of our trip to muscle shoals as i have pulled up the biggest song that came out of muscle shoals sound studio in its earliest time period right when it first got going the first recording session ever inside that studio was share and she did a movie, or not a movie, she did an album that did not do all that well on the chart. But there was a fellow that came in there just after Cher left and recorded. And his song went way up. It didn't go to number one, but I think it went to number two on the soul chart at least. R.B. Greaves and Take a Letter Maria. We're going to play that song and give you some of the background of Greaves. And we'll tell you more about how that song came to be recorded in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That will be part of our fun as we continue our our tribute to Muscle Shoals and the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio at the start of our third hour. Plus, we'll tell you also, as part of Hashtag Hullabaloo in our final hour, all about Flannery O'Connor, the Georgia writer who was a devout Catholic. And we'll explain her her story, how she died at such a young age, 39 years old, but the impact that her writing has left. Flannery O'Connery, Flannery O'Connor will tell you tell you all about her in our final hour. Plus, before we get out of here today, we will continue on with our college football tour across the southeast and up today, Death Valley, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We'll give you a quick look at the LSU Tigers and what to expect out of the Bayou Bengals in 2023. So all of that on what is going to be an awesome y'all show where we generally have pretty awesome shows and we couldn't do it without all you who tune in each and every day on great radio stations and those of you who also catch us each and every day in podcast form as this show is presented in spotify the iHeartRadio app the tune in app we're also on itunes podcast and itunes just the regular old itunes search for y'all show and you'll find us and we're absolutely free of charge and you can also share 
with all your buddies. So please do that because we're trying to grow this show. Okay, up first today, I'm going to tell you about a story that really isn't necessarily out of the South. But when I saw this headline, it's a little disturbing what happened out in Provo, Utah in the last few days where an armed man there was killed by FBI agents after making violent threats against President Joe Biden. Okay, so he made violent threats against our presidents. That, that, that is not a good thing to do by any means. But he got killed by the FBI. And I want to know what happened to Air Force veteran Craig Robertson. The family of his says that he would have not have acted on the threats and committed violence over political disagreements despite court records in which prosecutors depicted him as radicalized. Robertson was 74 years old and he was killed Wednesday by FBI agents trying to serve a warrant at his Provo home. And that happened just before Joe Biden actually arrived in Utah. I didn't realize he had stopped off there in Utah this week. He's, I know, been on a little bit of a Western swing. But yes, the president landed in Utah to visit the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Salt Lake City, which was about 45 miles away from this man's house. Prosecutors had filed three felony charges against Robertson under seal for alleged threats, including one this week that he was cleaning the dust off his M24 sniper rifle in anticipation of Biden's Utah visit. So absolutely, this guy needed to be looked into, but I don't know what led his to his being killed by these FBI agents. This was not Secret Service. This was FBI that went knocking. And we've got a man dead, a Air Force veteran, Craig Robertson, in Utah. I don't want this story to not be properly covered. I want people to stay on it because I don't dare want to see where a man ends up just getting taken out by the FBI because he, even if he made threats, he still should be arrested, but not necessarily killed, for goodness sake. We'll keep you up to date, updated on any stories that come out of this Utah story here on today's y'all show and going forward as well in the state of louisiana they're going to have a governor's race as they've got a race coming up in a very odd time october 14th is the date that louisianans go to the poll and i bet you as i said louisiana does things a little bit different and oftentimes they have their elections on saturdays so let me check october 14th is a saturday yeah and the former head of Louisiana's most powerful business groups, a guy named Stephen Wegspack, and a state representative, Richard Nelson, are going to be among the list of Republican candidates who will be on the ballot for Louisiana's October 14th gubernatorial election. Now, Louisiana, I believe, still does the jungle primary, where you ultimately try to be in the top two, and then they go on and have a, another race just a few weeks later but these two guys the entrepreneur Wegspack and then this state representative who's 37 Richard Nelson in the field and then you also have front runner Jeff Landry the state's attorney general who President Trump is backing in the field for Republican now the current Governor of Louisiana is John Bell Edwards. 
And I don't think he's allowed to run. I think he's term limited. So that's why there's truly going to be a refresh start, a, a new leader of Louisiana when this is all said and done. I don't see any. <laughs> uh, I don't see any big Democrat listed here. So we're going to likely see a switch, at least in Louisiana, from a, a Democrat to Republican, as Edwards is currently a Democrat serving as the head of that state, which is a very red state, by the way. But somehow this guy has emerged as the governor for the last several years in the state of Louisiana. But those are some of the names, and we'll keep you updated on October 14th, Saturday. They go to the polls. Not not this Saturday. It's going to be in mid-October. President Trump would love to have a race come up in October. Unfortunately for him, he's got to wait till most of the early part of next year for primaries to happen. And then, assuming he can get past his competitors there he can move on to the general election but president trump was on a golf course here in the last couple hours and he got confronted about no showing at a florida court appearance yes the president was playing a little round of golf at his bedminster golf course in new jersey and he chose to waive a court appearance because he didn't feel it was necessary and so Someone took offense to that and went out and confronted President Trump on the golf course about no showing at a Florida golf uh, at a Florida court appearance. Trump told the judge in court papers last week that he's not guilty and waived his right to appear at the hearing. And he said he again was not necessary for him to go there. The magistrate U.S. judge. Shanique Maynard accepted the plea from Trump who told the judge in court papers last week that he is not guilty and his aide Walt Nauta and Carlos de Oliveira the property manager at Mar-a-Lago were both present for this hearing this is about those Mar-a-Lago documents is what uh, this is all uh, to kind of tie it into here and evidently somebody at this golf course decided to confront the president about it i don't have audio or anything like that but uh, pretty gutsy i wonder how they even got that close to the president to confront him on his golf course did you realize that his late wife is buried right off i think the second hole at bedminster new jersey's golf course and to my knowledge she never i don't think trump had that golf course when he was married to her i don't think and and so, yeah, it's kind of creepy. They had a golf tournament there. Ivana Trump is who we're talking about. They had a golf course or, or tournament there shortly after Ivana Trump passed away. And so her grave was fresh. And you could see the headstone. I think they already had one up. And this was last year as she died July 14th of 2022 at the age of 73 when she fell down in her apartment there in Manhattan. And so I don't know why she would have agreed. Maybe I mean, she and Trump, her, her first husband and his first wife, they had, a I think, an amicable relationship years after their divorce because they shared all those kids from good old Don Jr. all the way to Ivanka down to Eric and 
of course, I guess she got a lot of money from the Don. And so, yeah, I could see where she would be amicable to him. But, yeah, she's buried there on this golf course. And that's where this confrontation happened this week. Hmm. Okay, let's take you to Texas and a story that's rather sad out of the Lone Star State. A sheriff in that state said that three dog hunters from Florida died in an underground tank filled with sewer gas after one of them apparently tried rescuing their dog after it fell into the hole, followed by the other two jumping in to save them. Two men and a woman, as well as the dog, were pulled from the tank in a cornfield on the outskirts of Austin. The sheriff of Bastrop County, Maurice Cook, said that the hole was a cistern with an opening roughly four feet wide and it contained eight feet of water and it also had hydrogen sulfide gas and three Floridians jumped in there to try to rescue this bloodhound and they've all lost their lives here just outside of Texas. The victims identified as Delviz Garcia, age 37, Denise Martinez, age 26, and Noel Benitez, age 45. They were in Texas again with the dog, and it fell in this hole trying to rescue it, and they all have died. Mm. As the tank had strong fumes similar to those of a septic tank, and that's evidently part of the reason these all these folks all passed away. Just a tragedy in the Austin, Texas area here this week. Tragedy also in Alabama as a rising high school basketball player, Caleb White. He attended Pinson Valley High School in the Birmingham area. This youngster suffered a medical emergency at school Thursday and died. Happened late morning Thursday, the principal of Pinson Valley, Michael Turner, announced the student's death in a note sent to parents in which was later shared with the media. He collapsed while working out with the team. So this was a basketball-related collapse that led to the death of the 17-year-old. Just another tragedy. We saw that LeBron James' son at USC is a freshman there, recently collapsed, but is doing better as far as I know, but this youngster was one of the three finalists for the 6A Player of the Year as a junior in the state of Alabama and averaged 20.9 points per game. So I'm assuming he would have definitely been someone recruited by a college somewhere for sure, but a, a tragedy again where this young man collapsing while practicing at Pinson Valley High School, 17-year-old Caleb White, dying on Thursday. Tragedy there in Jefferson County, Alabama. There's been a lot of rainfall across the southeast in the last couple of days, so much so that in Knoxville, Tennessee, they now have the record of having the most rainfall in about 100 years or so. Preliminary reports put the total rainfall in Knoxville Thursday at over two and a half inches. That's the most on that date since record-keeping began way back in 1920. Yes, the meteorologist there at WATE-TV 
Margot Altschuler said the most rainfall that Knoxville had seen on August 10th before that day was 2.1 inches. Y'all remember that back in 1920. Yeah, there was some massive rain showers and storms that went across the entire state of Tennessee here in the middle of the week. And they really felt it in Knoxville for sure. And I don't think rainfall and those Tennessee mountains slash hills really go all that well together. And we're seeing the effects of that. But, uh, yes, a lot of rain. People in Tennessee, at least, aren't necessarily begging for rainfall this week, at least. And that is a look at some of our news headlines to get us going in this opening hour of the Y'all Show. When we come back from the Y'all Show, we've got a quick update on some southern sports headlines of the day, including some preseason football as we had our first couple of games outside of the Canton thing that happened the other day. And those went down Thursday. We'll let you know about that. Plus, what's going on with college football and its expansion effort. We'll give you the latest on that as the Y'all Show Friday edition continues. that fellow right there is the most famous person from Delaware. George Thurgood, who was born in Wilmington, Delaware, way back in 1940. No, rather, 50. He was born in 50. He's 73 years young now, George Lawrence Thurgood. And I say that he's the most famous person from Delaware because he was actually born in Delaware, unlike the Scranton kid, Joe Biden, who is a carpetbagger that's come into Delaware from Pennsylvania. So yeah, George, congratulations. You are the most famous Delawarean as far as I'm a awarean. <laughs> All right, we're back here on the Y'all Show talking about some Southern sports news and more and the fun of college sports expansion continues. So let's add in another conference to the mix that's potentially affected by realignment in college sports so that would be the mountain west conference and the mountain west is sitting there ready to make a telephone call to stanford and cal but they can't because the acc 
is trying to figure out what they're going to do with Stanford and Cal. The Pac-12 collapsed last week. There's only four members that's left in the Pac-12, if that's even officially even still in existence for the 24-25 athletic year. And so Stanford and Cal, as well as Oregon State and Washington State, all need to find a place to go. And the ACC is seriously considering inviting the two Bay Area schools into the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is rather odd based on its name of adding two teams that can look out just past their campuses and see the Pacific Coast. (laughs) But the Mountain West Conference right now is they would love to add some of these schools into the Mountain West Conference. But they have to wait for the ACC as the ACC is considering but there's been roadblocks there have been definite roadblocks by the ACC. If the ACC does not add Cal and Stanford, we're not sure if the those two schools specifically want to jump over to the Mountain West Conference. There is widespread expectation that both Oregon State and Washington State would go into the Mountain West Conference. But it's not a guarantee that the other two would do such a thing. The American Athletic Conference, that's the conference that has teams like Tulane and Memphis and who else do they have in there? They've added UAB to the American. The American would also be willing to consider adding all four Pac-12 schools, according to ESPN reports. I just don't think Cal and Stanford want to be playing ball games in Memphis or Birmingham, or whoever else is in the America, whoever's left in the American Conference. I do. I know they've got in football the Naval Academy. That's kind of a neat thing. But it's uh, the, the, these schools have been at the top of college sports, and this is a definite downgrade having to go find a new place because their conference went away, all because they couldn't get a dadgum TV contract worth a hoot with ESPN so the ACC you are on the clock I don't think they're going to invite them because they would already have invited them in my opinion if it was a real option that's just what I think but we'll keep an eye on what's going on and while we're talking about college football expansion and more the CAA which is an FCS league, has just announced a new member. Bryant is going to be moving over into what was the Colonial Athletic Association. And now the CAA Football Board of Directors has approved Bryant University as the conference's newest member. It will join July 1st of 2024. That will make the CAA have 16 members. Bryant is located in Smithville, Rhode Island. It's currently in the Big South OVC Football Association. It's been playing football for 25 years. They have a 130 and 120 record. The Bulldogs of Bryant University in Rhode Island. How about that? I had no idea that Rhode Island had any other towns but Providence. I'm, I'm kidding on that. But yeah, there's a Rhode Island 
small college that plays Division One at the FCS level, college football, and they're going to be joining up with teams throughout most of the eastern seaboard that are on the small scale that play in this CAA. Teams that are in that league that play football at that level include Joe Biden's Delaware Blue Hens and not Newark. It is Newark. I just got told that by my Delaware connection this week. I, I was pronouncing that city wrong right outside of Wilmington. The flagship university of the first state is in Newark, Delaware. Don't leave out in the CAA the fighting camels of Campbell University, Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. You also have out of Greensboro, North Carolina AT and North Carolina A and T is in this league now after jumping over from the MEAC a few years back. They also have Towson, the Tigers out of Towson, Maryland in here. And William and Mary from Williamsburg, the prestigious second oldest college in all of America, is a member of the CAA. The Coastal Athletic Association is its new name of that conference. And they've got 16 members. And this is really bizarre because, see, in FCS football, you're not allowed to have a conference championship game. So it's not like they're going to be broken into divisions and then they go on and have a conference champion and then they go on and get into the playoff. No, 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 no. I guess their thinking is the more conference members we have, the more options we can get for at-large bids into the FCS playoffs. Just, just, I'm just trying to predict what the thinking is with this FCS league. All right, let's tell you about another league that plays football, the National Football League. We had some preseason games that went down on Thursday, and the Houston Texans went on the road, and they were able to knock off the New England Patriots, 20-9. to Nice win. We've got info on their quarterback, C.J. Stroud, but yes, 20-9 to in their opening preseason game. Also, you had the Seattle Seahawks knocking off the Vikings 24-13 Thursday evening. Your NFL preseason games set for today, Packers and Bengals. The Giants will be taking on the Lions at Ford Field. Falcons and Dolphins get together in Miami Gardens. Steelers and Buccaneers will be in Tampa. Also, the Washington Redskin Commanders and the Cleveland Browns are going to be at Cleveland Brown Stadium in Cleveland for a preseason game. And the Broncos and the Arizona Cardinals get together in Glendale on this Friday array of preseason football. Yeah, on Thursday, C.J. Stroud, he did not have the best of nights. He's already pledging to learn from the mistakes he made in his preseason debut for the Houston Texans last year's, or really more this year's, Number two overall pick out of Ohio State went two for four for 13 yards, and he had an interception during his two series that he played as the Houston Texans did end up defeating the Patriots 20-9. Coach D'Amico Ryan said he wasn't concerned about his rookie quarterback struggles as he had a positive view on his performance, saying that he'll have to clean things up and get better at it. Stroud called his debut solid and he said his interception that Patriot safety Jalen Mills picked off was a learning opportunity this game I think might have been in Houston now that I'm looking at the 
highlights of it, yes. But preseason football underway in the NFL week one. And you've got games going on today. You've got some on Saturday, even in the daytime hour Saturday. There's some preseason football. And then on Sunday, there's a couple of games during the afternoon hours. So enjoy. Football is back. And college football will be back in a big way in just two more weeks. So, woo-hoo. In golf, you've got the FedEx St. Jude Championship going on in the Memphis area this weekend. It's the first of the three rounds of the PGA Tours playoff. And after day one, Jordan Spieth has got the lead at TPC Southwind. I'll have more information on that tournament as we move on in today's Y'all Show When we come back here on the Y'all Show, we're going to give you an encore of some of our interview that we did on the Thursday Y'all Show. We found ourselves Thursday in northwest Alabama. We took this show on the road. If you were able to tune in Thursday, I think you enjoyed it. I think it was pretty neat for us to get out of here every now and then and officially go on an official Y'all Show on the road journey. And that's what we did. We went to Tuscumbia, we went to Sheffield, and we went to Muscle Shoals in Alabama. And part of that Thursday conversation, we stopped by Muscle Shoals Sound Studio and got an in-person tour. And I had a chance to talk to the tour guide there of that place in northwest Alabama. And he did a, a fantastic job telling me about the story, the history, the, the real in-depth stuff that you only get when you're there in person And so in just a second, we're going to come back from our commercial break, and we're going to go in and hear Terrell Benton of Muscle Shoals Sound Studio and and, and listen in to some of the interesting stuff he told us about Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Alabama. And that's part of our ICYMI, in case y'all missed it, from Thursday's Y'all Show. And you can get a a little snippet of what we talked about Thursday when we come back on the other side. This is the Y'all Show, powered by y'all.com. Swamping our way through this Friday edition of the Y'all Show. That music there, courtesy of the Swampers. That is the foursome that founded Muscle Shoals Sound Studio back in 1969 at 3614 Jackson Highway in Sheffield, Alabama. And on the Y'all Show Thursday, we found ourselves at that address. We went inside the studio there at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio and just had a great interview with... Terrell Benton, the tour guide, and a guy who has been around Muscle Shoals for a long time himself and had a a great time. Only David Hood of the original four 
Swampers is still with us as the other three have sadly passed away. But Terrell did a great job talking to us about Muscle Shoals Town Studio and the very first record cut there was by Cher and she named her album recorded at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. She named it after the address, 3614 Jackson Highway. So we're going to have now I-C-Y-M-I in case y'all missed it. And we're going to rewind back to our Thursday Y'all Show where Terrell told us a little bit more about Cher and why she decided to come to Muscle Shoals to record back in the late 1960s. And we'll just get to know much more about this incredible southern music legacy that muscle shoals alabama has again it is i-c-y-m-i in case y'all missed it from thursday's y'all show where we were on location in the heart of dixie muscle shoals alabama here's terrell benton of the muscle shoals sound studio talking about share and a lot more i'll be honest there was um sunny and share hadn't had a hit in a couple of years and to be honest with you, the banks were after them. <laughs> and so they signed her to Atlantic Records, and Sonny thought they could come here and make a quick, cheap record and be back on the charts and out of debt. Didn't happen. Two years later, the Sonny and Cher show got them out of debt, but this record didn't happen. But I think it was more Sonny and Jerry Wexler of Atlantic Records pushing them to do that. Well, this, that was the first record recorded. And we're in the studio right here at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. I'm sitting here right by the famous piano that you've heard on tons of records. But how did they end up coming here from California? Uh, they had signed Jerry Wexler at Atlantic Records, uh, signed Cher. And uh, they were looking for rather cheap places to record. And Wexler had just loaned the, the Swampers the money to open the studio. And he said, I'll take you to Muscle Shoals. And that was exactly how it was. Yep, yep. Now, the reason they came here were four local boys. If you don't mind, tell us the quick story on the four boys who left fame recording studios to come just a couple miles down the road here to Sheffield. Uh, Yep, they were at Muscle Shoals Sound. Of course, they're commonly known as the Swampers. But they had started at fame in the mid-60s, the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section backing band for Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, Solomon Burke, Otis Redding, Etta James. And uh, after a financial discussion with Rick Hall at Fame, they went to Jerry Wexler and he loaned them the money to rent this little building and they moved over here on April Fool's Day, 1969. Yep, yep. And these guys started Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. David Hood on bass, Jimmy Johnson guitar, Roger Hawkins on drums, and Barry Beckett on keyboards and they were equal partners. It was the only studio in America owned by musicians at the time. God, that's hard to believe. So Cher comes in here, and then you start having a bunch of people trickle in, including the Rolling Stones and Leonard Skinner. Yep, yep. December of 69, the Stones come. They record three songs in three days. Um, you Gotta Move, Brown Sugar, and Wild Horses in three days. Then after that, of course, it, it, it just started to roll. Yeah. I mean, they had everyone from Bob Seger to Paul Simon, the Staple Singers, Jimmy Cliff. The number two selling reggae record of all time is Jimmy Cliff's The Harder They Come. It's recorded here. It's these boys from Alabama playing on that reggae record. How about that? That, again, is some of our interview that we did on location in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. 
and that interview heard on the Thursday Y'all Show. If you want to go back and listen to that interview in its entirety, go find the Y'all Show podcast, and you can find that on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple iTunes, and Apple Podcasts, plus at y'all.com. Well, that will wrap up our first hour. Got some great stuff coming up in hour two, including our financial report courtesy of Paul Hare. All that is ahead on the show that shakes the South. Hour two of this Friday edition of the show, all about the South, powered by y'all.com. This is the Y'all Show. I'm John. I'm the general of all things Southern, and we want to welcome you on in here for this middle hour of our Friday fun. Got plenty of headlines across the Southeast that we're going to be sharing with you. We also have coming up in just a handful of minutes Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group as he will help us recap the week on Wall Street and other goings-on in the world of finance and business and so much more. Also, before this hour is in the books, we're going to take a look at the new movies hitting theaters across the Southland this weekend. Included in those movies are the new films Jailer and the new film Jewels. We'll let you know all about that in hour two. And a friendly reminder, coming up in hour three, we will have a spotlight of Flannery O'Connor, the Southern writer. That plus a spotlight on LSU Tiger football as the Bayou Bengals are getting ready to get on the gridiron in a few weeks against the Florida State Seminoles. That's a game going to go down in Orlando. And will Brian Kelly's ball club get back to the SEC championship again, just like they did in 2022? We'll tell you about those Tigers. Go Tigers! We'll tell you all about them in hour three of today's Y'all Show. To get involved with the Y'all Show, you can drop us an email anytime, M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L.com, or you can text us. We've got a way you can text us anytime you feel like it, and that number is 615-208-4184. Let's pick up our news headlines of the day, and we'll start with a bizarre story that crosses state lines. So we told you not long ago about the incredible election of an 18-year-old in Earl, Arkansas. Jalen Smith was elected last year mayor of Earl, Arkansas, and he became the youngest black mayor ever to be elected in America when he was elected at age 18. Well, Mayor Smith is now 19 years old, and He was driving around Earl, Arkansas on Wednesday, his town, the town that he's the mayor of, and while driving his Dodge Charger, a bicycle ran out in front of him, and there was a collision. And so Mayor Smith and the person on the bicycle all ended up going to nearby Memphis to be treated. 
and EMS rushing the 15-year-old bicyclist to Lebanon Children's Hospital. And while the paramedics were inside, <laughs> a 33-year-old man named James Miller decided to take off in the ambulance and went down Poplar Avenue in downtown Memphis. And say, and according to Memphis police, this 33-year-old guy that took off in the ambulance ended up hitting and critically wounding a man at the intersection of Poplar and Goodlett and then crashed a few blocks down at Poplar and Perkins Extended, injuring two more people along the way. All because a kid was on a bicycle and got hurt and then he goes to the children's hospital in Memphis and some knucklehead decides to take off and steal the ambulance and then hurts people while doing that. It's just uh, a twist and turn. Now here's an update on the bicyclist. The teen cyclist that the mayor hit has just scrapes on his hands, cheek, and forehead. He also injured his right wrist and left knee but is expected to be okay the ambulance thief now faces reckless driving and theft of property charges, so he was arrested. The Children's Hospital released a statement after the accident and said that Labonner Children's Hospital continues to care deeply about the safety of our parents, or rather patients and families, staff and physicians. Keeping our employees and families safe while they are on the Labonner campus remains our top priority. We continue to upgrade and monitor security procedures across our campus and work with community partners like Memphis Police Department, the University of Tennessee Health Science Center Police, and Memphis Medical District collaborative to ensure our campus remains as safe as possible. Well, somebody wasn't paying attention when they let a guy get into the, the ambulance and then take off and hurt others along the way. I'm sure this could happen anywhere, but uh, another Memphis head-scratcher. This is a feel-good story out of the home of the wolf pack, North Carolina, as endangered red wolves are being released in North Carolina. It's a reintroduction that's been decades long in the making, and this is an endangered species that is going to be back, hopefully making future little red wolves in North Carolina as the government has now settled a lawsuit with conservation groups and has committed to releasing more endangered red wolves into North Carolina's wilderness where nearly three dozen of the canine species are still believed to be running free. And this is from a while back. There's still a handful there. They're going to be bringing in more red wolves. And the Southern Environmental Law Center ended up filing a lawsuit on behalf of the Red Wolf Coalition and a settlement was reached this week involving these wolves and their reintroduction, these endangered wolves. Red wolves once occupied much of the eastern United States but were nearly driven to extinction, extinction by trapping, hunting, and habitat loss. And they started being reintroduced to North Carolina way back in 1987 their range is limited to just five counties in North Carolina. I'm trying to dig up where those counties are because I don't think I want to run across a red wolf <laughs> if I can in the in the wild. <laughs> yeah, um, 
Yeah, that's uh, good to know. Scientists at zoos and other sites have maintained a captive population of about 300 red wolves in recent years. So it looks like the world population of red wolves is at less, at less than 500, it, it sounds like. So we hope they have a important lifespan and, and a long, healthy lifespan across North Carolina. And it looks like it is in the eastern portion of North Carolina where these wolves are, are being introduced. Not in the mountains. So if you decide you want to go to, let's say, North Carolina for a, a trip in the Maggie Valley area or go up to around Boone, I don't think these wolves are going to be hanging out in the mountains. They're going to be more over on the coastal side of North Carolina when you're there. So check it out. But you can also find a good wolf or two hanging out in Raleigh at Carter-Finley Stadium. <laughs> so good news from the animal side of things here on today's Y'all Show. How about this story out of Atlanta? Jennifer Cherninko, a recent alumnus of Georgia State University, is in the news because of a viral TikTok video that she put out and it's now seen been seen by more than 7 million people and in this TikTok video Jennifer tells people her money was stolen through a phony job offer as she says please be careful and take this as, as my warning and so I'm trying to read through here and tell you more about this lady who just graduated in May from Georgia State with a business administration degree so she's in the process of trying to get a new job and she said that she was on the I guess web web looking at applications and more and she says that it was through an application process that she got contacted and someone said hey we received your application we want to move forward with you and so she started an interview process and she says at first she meant she was confused about it doing it over the phone but was told that it was all part of the new normal and then she was curious why ultimately they weren't meeting face to face and these scammers said well we're an international company and during covid they specifically said during covid that they thought it would be easier to do interviews through an app. And then a few days later, she gets what she thinks is a job complete with a realistic-looking offer letter that shared details about benefits and more, and she ended up being asked to give her bank information, being told it was the procedure to set up her direct deposit, and what happened was her bank account ended up getting emptied. The company that she applied to, Bold Business, is actually a real company. But the person she was talking to and the one that scammed her had no affiliation with Bold Business. So it's a, it's a job scam of which they lure you in thinking you're getting a job. And in the end, they, they ended up sending a form for her to fill out with her bank information and they steal her money. Got some real low lives out there, y'all. Mm. Hey, if you're going to go to the Charlotte area in the next few days, we've got good news. That roller coaster that got shut down because it had a large crack in it, well, the crack's been fixed. And Fury 325, labeled as a giga coaster because it has a height 
of 325 feet. That's bigger than a football field. It's back up and going as the North Carolina safety folks have given it the thumbs up. And so you can go ride this roller coaster again that has speeds up to 95 miles per hour. It got closed back on June 30th after a visitor reported a crack in Fury 325. And so after more than two months now, I guess, or right at two months, it's finally going to be up and going at Carowinds, which is a very popular theme park there on the North and South Carolina border. Also want to let you know that a Lebanon, Missouri man has been arrested and charged with first and second degree burglary. 49-year-old Lloyd Tabor arrested after he was forced he was he made forced entry into a garage there in Lebanon, Missouri. According to reports, he stole a bicycle, clothes and personal items inside a garage and then fled the scene on the bike. The reason this story is of note is that uh, a press release said that a citizen near where this happened saw Tabor coming out of the woods dressed in what the witness called a brown blanket. And the witness said that Tabor was walking between houses and saw him take a chainsaw. And then Tabor was naked at the time of the arrest. So a naked chainsaw-toting burglar on the loose, at least for a while, in Missouri. You might want to be aware of that. And congratulations to a Spotsylvania County, Virginia woman as she has broken the Guinness World Record for the loudest burp bellowed by a female. 33-year-old Kimberly Winter graduated from Liberty High School in Virginia back in 2007 and she achieved the record-breaking 107.3 decibel burp in a dead room, whatever the heck that is. That's kind of like a recording studio that's designed to eliminate reflected sound. And she's got one heck of a burp. I don't want to gross you out here on a Friday y'all show, but uh, she's got a lot of TikTok videos to think of her burping. So if you really want some good entertainment, dig up this Spotsylvania County, Virginian Kimberly Winter and her Guinness Book of World Record Burping. Burp? That's a story for all of us here to think about and ponder quite extensively. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to scoot over to the world of finance. Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group will be with us, and we're going to wrap up the week on Wall Street and get some tips on what to do with your money as we head into the weekend here on the show all about the South. We are Y'all. Hey, 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 hey. 
Ah, money in the bank is a good thing. We're back on the Y'all Show. We got Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group in with us here on this Friday edition. And I'm looking over here at Paul, and I'm wanting to see if he's smiling. Do you have money in the bank? I got money in the bank. All right. Well, congratulations on that. Paul's here to help us wrap up the week in finance and Wall Street and more. And he told me that while we were doing this interview, he's sitting here checking his phone because there's some breaking news in the financial world. And what is that breaking news? Well, we're waiting to see what the PPI is going to be. That's a a producer price index. And that's what... We pay for domestic goods. It does not include imports, but it's what we pay for domestic goods. Uh, so we're waiting to see what that's going to be. They're expecting it to only rise 0.2% instead of 0.3%. So we're waiting to see. But the consumer price index, the inflation numbers came out yesterday. And uh, we're up 32 from a year ago. Uh, still not the 2% target. But you've got to also remember when they come out, they do what they call the core. They pull out fuel and food, which is the most volatile. So they pull that out. And every bit, 90% of the increase came from shelter costs, meaning building, rent, interest rates on mortgage, all that. That is where those costs came from. So that's where we're seeing the majority of our increase is from shelter costs. So they're saying it went up um, almost uh, 0.4% and was up 7.7% from a year ago. Hmm. So we've seen costs go up that much. And Explain uh, to me what shelter costs are again. Uh, rent that you pay, cost of building products, you know, if you're building a house or building apartments, that cost. Also, uh, interest rates on mortgages. That's figured into shelter costs. So as when you had a mortgage 18 months ago at 2.3%, and now you're paying 6 that's figured into shelter cost. So, but, uh, you know, you, hopefully you refinanced 18 to 24 months ago and are not trying to do it now. So, because your, your costs are through the roof, you know. I sat down and figured... When I bought my house, I refinanced when the interest rates got so low, and I went from a 30 to a 15-year. But if I was to borrow the money right now on what I have to pay off my house at current interest rates, my mortgage payment would go up $50. Hmm. And I've already paid uh, three years on that refinance at a lower rate but if i was to refinance the balance what i owe right now for the remaining time period my mortgage would go up fifty dollars so that's how much interest rates have affected so and do interest rates just kind of always go up at some point they do but we're seeing it because the fed is raising interest rates now we also got to realize you know john we've kept the rates so low for so long that we've put off the party. Okay. You know, it's now come home to roost. And, uh, again, you've heard me say this several times, and I'll say it again. Um, Powell was only given one uh, tool to fight inflation, and you've got four tools. 
One is uh, interest rates, which is what he got. The other is wage. The other is fuel. And the other is uh, controlling uh, food production, you know, and supply. Okay. Well, we've taken out the wage because we forced a $15-dollar-an-hour wage by giving the extra free $300 on unemployment. So to get people back, you're going to have to pay them more than $15 an hour to come come back to work. Uh, fuel, we can't. We're not creating or we're not drilling, so our fuel cost is through the roof. It's more than gone up. It's gone up more than 100 percent. And then supply. We are now. I mean, uh, take a look. What's happened with yellow? Did you ever think you'd see yellow freight line go belly up? But it filed bankruptcy. One because of, of the supply chain, but two because they were uh, mismanagement by purchasing companies and borrowing money they shouldn't have borrowed. And then the Teamsters came in and forced a huge increase and their uh, labor cost and they just couldn't make it so yellow over 100 uh, over 100 year old freight line company has now gone belly up so well, they're based they were based in tennessee right and so why would teamsters have that much leverage over a tennessee-based company a right to work state well but they unionized the truck lines uh, okay. so you know uh you get you know we've got union plants in tennessee whether we're right to work state or not it's just how the the companies that have gone union they come down here and you know you can still be voting in a union even though you're right to work state so that that ate them up so i mean these are what we're seeing so what we're probably going to see is the fed pause in september see what august is going to look like we've seen gdp go up First quarter, 2%. Second quarter, 2.4%. They're predicting the third quarter to go up 4.1%. So if it does that, then you're probably going to see Powell. And he's he's asphyxiated on this. this that's not the right word, sorry. Fixated. Fixated. He asphyxiated. <laughs> he asphyxiated right. could be good, good, too. No, we don't want that. But he, uh, he is focused on that 2%. Uh, inflation and he's we've got to have it we got to have it for normalcy well we've been out of the you know we've got a new norm Muhammad Al-Aryan who used to run PIMCO is now at Oxford managing their um, their endowment and also as an advisor for Allianz he said we'll never go back to what the norm was before 2008 and COVID it's just not doable but we're trying to go back to a 2% inflation, and that may not be doable without totally wrecking the economy. So we'll wait and see what happens. You check your phone real quick for that developing news, okay. and I'll remind people who we're listening to. This is Paul Hare with us today on the Y'all Show. He's with Hare Financial Group, and if you would like to talk to Paul about maybe some insurance or investment needs that you have, you can give him a buzz at 731-664-0047. Again, it's the Hare Financial Group at 731-664-0047. It's what they thought. It went up point, point, so uh, point we have the news. Yeah, it went up. So that means... It went up what? 0.2%. 0.2. Right. So what that means is our domestic product cost 
went up 0.2%. So is the tightening having an effect? Yes, but we're still having increases. So it just matter comes down to is what Powell, what is Powell going to do? So what we're doing with clients right now is we're setting them up to where, all right, we're, we don't think there's going to be a recession, at least in some geographical areas. Now, in some geographical areas, we're already in a recession. California, Illinois, and New York, they're already starting to feel the recessionary uh, pinch. How would they know? What are, what are some of those early signs? Early signs is uh, unemployment going up. Other signs, cause uh, we're starting to see people not spending as much money. So spending's going down. Gross product, uh, product uh, production in those states are going down. But you take a look at the South, okay? The Southeast and Southeast and South Central. Texas, you know, all that, the 14 states in the South and in, in South Central, you're looking at those states are seeing an economic boom. Tennessee is seeing an economic boom. Texas, Florida, uh, even Kentucky is seeing a growth. And Kentucky is usually, and I'm from Kentucky, so I can say this, because of their tax structure, usually they're kind of cost prohibitive. But they're seeing even economic boom in Kentucky. I mean, people don't realize the taxes in Kentucky. It's each city has a payroll tax, so each city has its own income tax, and then the state has an income tax, and then you pay federal income tax. You now, the city of Paducah. You, if you live in the city of Paducah and you work in the city of Paducah, you pay three percent tax to the city of Paducah, Kentucky. So if you make $100,000, you pay $3,000 to the city of Paducah. Then you pay 5000 to the state. Or no, they dropped it, excuse me, they dropped it down to four. So you pay 4000 to the state. What do they do with all that money? Your guess is good as mine. <laughs> Your guess is good as mine. I can't believe there's not five times more people in the state of Tennessee right next to Kentucky that have fled Kentucky for Tennessee. When we moved here from Mayfield, Kentucky to Brownsville, Tennessee, and I stayed in Jackson, Paducah and Jackson were almost the exact same size. Kentucky and the state of Tennessee had the same population around 3 million, 3 to 4 million. Kentucky has 4.2 million and the state of Tennessee has 6.3 million. So just in 40 years, you've seen the state of Tennessee almost go up, almost uh, at least 70% growth in the population. Mm -hmm. And most of it's probably in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, but a big part of why people come to Tennessee and they go to places like Florida, too, is that not having an income tax. No, not, and, and we don't have a state income tax. We don't have property tax on cars. Uh, I've got a client up there that drives a... You might want to hush real quick because the whole country might be moving to Tennessee. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Tennessee. I, you know what I tell my friends that moved down here from up north? I say there's more Yankees in the state of Tennessee than when Sherman marched through. So, <laughs> yeah. That's good. good, uh, good analogy there. So. Uh, uh, yeah. Paul Harris with us with the Hare Financial Group. And we're getting the update. So anything else on this breaking news that you no, need to add? That's just really, really what we're seeing now is we're going to see slowed growth. Do I, I keep saying this, do I think we'll see a recession in this area? 
overall, no, we may see some recessionary uh, uh, pains in some of the industry, but overall, no. I mean, with Blue Oval coming in, with Dixie coming in, uh, with other companies coming in, the growth we're seeing, I just I do not see it unless, and I hope it doesn't happen, but there's a total failure in the EV truck market. Uh, I don't see anything changing. Do you see where Ford announced they're going all in on hybrids? I did not. Yeah, they're going all in on hybrids, on gas engine hybrids. Now, diesel, I don't think you can get a diesel to run on a hybrid. I haven't seen one yet, but uh, they're going all in. Just like Toyota announced, Toyota announced two years ago that they will never, they'll make EV, but they'll never go total EV. And the reason they said is because they know their customers, which means uh, they asked the CEO and he said nobody wants to plan their vacation driving to a charging station. So they're probably going to go total, uh, you're going to see them go total EV. Hold on, I'll tell you what, they've revised it. Here we go. Oh, even more developing news. Even more developing news. So I'm sitting here pulling it up right now. they're saying right now it's the sharpest increase they have seen. So uh, they've come back and revised it. They're saying now that it's, it is a higher increase than they predicted. So they said it was going to be 0.2, but now it's even higher than that. So we'll see. You Are know. you on speed dial with the feds? No. <laughs> I'm not on speed dial. But what I'm telling my clients really is, all right, as they get ready for retirement, uh, I'm working with a gentleman right now. He, uh, we're setting up a budget. How much guaranteed income do you need coming in? And we add 15% to that. Everybody goes, why? Because you always want to have a slush fund. And then we uh, have what we call paycheck and a paycheck. And your paycheck is when money you don't need to live off of. And your paycheck is the money, and it'll never change. That paycheck's coming in every month. So... Again, when you sit down with Paul Hare of the Hare Financial Group, he's going to tell you not to bring your checkbook in on that first meeting. That's right. Three things. Come in with an open mind. Give me all your pertinent information and leave your checkbook at home. The first meeting is going to be 20, 25 minutes long to find out how we work together. And then we'll start looking at uh, what our next steps are. And then we go from there. And I tell people all the time, you know, just, just have an open mind when we sit down and talk. I'm sure you're probably going to tell me yes on this question. Mm-hmm. You probably have had people you've told, "Hey, I just don't think this is going to be a good thing for you." Yeah, I've done that, and and you know, and they we've been, and I said, "Let me help you find somebody that can work with you," and I'll help them find uh, an advisor, and that's what I do. I mean, if we're not going to be a good match, doesn't mean that my, I've got a friend over here that's in the business that could be a good match for them now one thing i do that's different from a lot of advisors is i don't try to be the know-all of everything i'm very good at what i do i put a team together and my team is going to be tax accountant and a state planning attorney and i work with three tax accounting firms and i work with three law firms that have estate planning and we sit down and we design the team and then we meet uh, when I meet with a client. It's every six months, and if they need to meet with the attorney at that time, we set that meeting up. And of course, they're going to meet with the 
accountant and then when it comes around tax time or budget time me and the accountant sit down with the client and we work out the budget for the next year but you probably also have had somebody who really probably didn't have the funds to be investing right well they they had a higher expectation we do the risk tolerance test okay and i come back and say hey this is how you need to invest oh no i've been i've been watching uh Jim Cramer or I get Kiplinger news or you know I, I I watch you know I listen to Dave Ramsey all that and I'm not putting those people down but that's not my philosophy and here's what I want to do well what's interesting about those is none of those guys are fiduciaries they they can advise however they want to advise and there's no legal ramifications I look at it and I say hey this isn't going to work so I can't do this because it's outside your risk tolerance, and we, we need to find you somebody you can work with. And you can work with Paul Hare. Again, his number is 731-664-0047 for the Hare Financial Group and your little statement. My little statement is I'm a member of Securities America, SIPC. All right. I love that little statement. Paul, great to see you again. Good to see you again. And we got all this developing news we covered got, now. We got it all covered now, and football starts. You know, I'm a football official for high school. And I'd also do volleyball and basketball. So, what do you not do? Just tell me what you don't do. Uh, uh, I don't play any musical instrument anymore. I used to play the guitar, but hadn't picked it up in ten years. Mm-hmm. So, man of many talent, Paul Hare. No, not. I don't know about that, but thank you. All right. Well, uh, we'll look for you on a football field soon. Yeah. Take care. Like in a couple of days soon. Well, tonight we got a jamboree, and kickoff starts next week. All right, Paul Hare. He's the guy you need to, you you know, be out there yelling at. That's why you can't offend me. <laughs> I've been I've been called every name in the book, and that's at home. So whatever you call me out on the football field or basketball court, don't worry. I've been called that at home too. All right, I'll just call you a friend. There you go. We got more of the y'all show coming right up. A look at the weekend's new movies. That's ahead on y'all. that wind and wander over mountains and valleys, deserts and plains. I guess I've drove about all of them. Because for the past 25 years now, the cab of a truck has been my home. And it'd be kind of hard for me to settle down and not be on the go. Well, I remember the first truck I drove I was so proud I could hardly wait to get home to show my wife and little boy. And my little boy was so excited like when he saw his first snow. But he wasn't old enough to say too many words. He just kept hollering, giddy up go, daddy, giddy up go. So that's what I named the old truck, giddy up go. Oh, things wasn't too bad. Of course, I was gone a lot. And after about six years, I got home one day and found my wife and little boy gone. I couldn't find out what happened. Nobody seemed to know. So from that day on, it's been me and old giddy-up-go. I've made a lot of friends at all the truck stops. 
and some of them would kid me about my little sign. Of course, they knew where I got the name, because I told them about that little boy of mine. And highest first word about the truck was, giddy up, go. Today I was barreling down old 66 when up beside me pulled a brand new diesel rig. I hate to intervene. <laughs> I hate to interrupt Red so fine, but I got to because we're not really a country radio station. We're a talk show, and and uh, but we don't mind playing some music and a good story song there. Giddy up, go! That went back to uh, 1965. That went to number one for Red Sovine, born Woodrow Wilson Sovine in Charleston, West Virginia, back in 1918. We lost Red Sovine in 1980 at the age of 61. It looks like Red Sovine and Giddy Up Go. His other big song was Why, Why, Baby, Why. That's a good song there. But Red Sovine music for you here on the Y'all Show. And a good story song about a trucker. Uh, giddy Up Go. We want you to maybe consider Giddy Up going to the box office this weekend. We got some films that you should be checking out if you have the opportunity to sneak out and avoid both the rain and storms as well as the heat of the Southland. And got a couple of films. Ben Kingsley is in one of these new films hitting theaters this weekend. So I look at the weekend in the box office. We call this segment Dixie Cinema. And among the new releases here for this 11th weekend, the August 11th weekend, you've got the new movie Jailer. It is an action comedy that includes Jackie Schroff as part of the cast. Mudiel Pondion is a retired jailer living happily with his wife, son, daughter-in-law, and grandson. His son, who is an assistant commissioner of police, goes missing while investigating the... Okay, this website just certainly disappeared on me. The Investigating the case of missing temple idols and is presumed dead. The story is about how... The man goes toe-to-toe against Varma, the mastermind behind a large-scale smuggling of temple idols and treasures. All right. I'm sure you're going to be rushing to the cinema to see Jailer this weekend as it is a new film out on this 11th day of August 2023. Elsewhere, other movies that are making their debut this weekend at the cinema, you have... The new film, let's see, I told you about Ben Kingsley being in one of these movies. You have, my thing's all messed up, I apologize. A new film called The Last Voyage of the Demeter, or Demeter. A crew selling from Carpathia to England find that they are carrying very dangerous cargo. And that is out this weekend and it stars Corey Hawkins Liam Cunningham The Last Voyage of the... This is not, in my opinion sorry if I'm going to go out on a limb here, this is not exactly I think the most uh, blockbuster weekend at the box office but that's just me, I could be wrong 
It could be wrong. I've already told you about two two films that I doubt too many of you are going to be breaking your neck to see. So let me tell you also about, let's see, I told you that one of the films was Jailer and then Jules is the new film. Okay. Jules is, I think, the movie that Ben Kingsley is in. Jules movie. Where are you? Yeah, Ben Kingsley is in this one, and it is out this weekend. Jules, where's my breakdown? It's a comedy film directed by Mark Turtletaub and directed by Gavin Steckler. It stars Ben Kingsley, Harriet Sansom Harris, Zoe Winters, and Jane Curtin. Now, I was going to tell you a little bit more about Ben Kingsley. He's been in some incredible movies. I think, wasn't he in Schindler's List or something like that? Yeah. Some of his movies that Ben Kingsley, the English actor, Ben is 79 years young and has just got quite the the look and the voice and more with his roles that he's had through the years. Yeah, he was in Schindler's List. I was right on that. What a powerful movie as he played the role of Itchock Stern. He was in Rules of Engagement. He's been in movies like Oliver Twist and Trans-Siberian Iron Man 3. He played the role of Paps Rudy in The Walk. Operation Finale, he played Adolf Eichmann. And again, in Jules, he plays the role of Milton. Jules is a science fiction comedy film. And it is out this weekend. One review of it on Rotten Tomatoes says that brought to life by an outstanding ensemble cast, Jules uses its cute concept to grapple with poignant, university, universally relatable themes. And that's among the new movies. Don't forget Oppenheimer, still doing quite well. And Barbie, what a gigantic success that film has been at the box office. And that's some of your new movies that are in theaters this weekend. And if you've got a film, I mean, these are your nationwide movies out there that are available this weekend. But if you've got something that maybe more of a sub-regional release that you need to let us know about, we want to hear from you. In fact, let me just remind you here at the Y'all Show that you can reach us anytime with comments, suggestions, criticism, praise, and more. And all you have to do is drop us an email. And that email is mail at y'all.com. It's very simple to get in touch with us we try to make it very easy in fact i've got to pull up i had a little message sent to me after we were on the road in muscle shoals on the thursday y'all show i had some feedback about that i had some criticism so if you don't mind let me pull up this social media post about our own location of the y'all show that we did on thursday and this if this is true, this was news to me, and they certainly did not tell me about that when I was visiting 
the Helen Keller birthplace in Tuscumbia, Alabama. So TR writes, come on, after I put a post up about us being at Muscle Shoals, TR writes, come on now, John, you can do better places that are more interesting. She writes that Helen Keller was a co-founder of the ACLU. And TR informs me that a lot of people know that T, that Helen Keller supposedly was a communist. Now that's news to me. And so I'm sitting here looking up some of the bio on Helen Keller and let me just see if this is at least on the generic bio of her if indeed yeah in 1920 she helped found the American Civil Liberties Union as she went around the world pushing for civil liberties across the world so I didn't know that in 1909 Helen Keller became a member of the Socialist Party and she actively campaigned and wrote in support of the working class between the years 1909 to 1921. I didn't get told this when I was out at the Helen Keller Museum, the birthplace this week, Ivy Green. They didn't have that prominently presented there. Just saying. She supported Socialist Party candidate Eugene Debs during each of his campaigns for presidency. Didn't hear about that. I wonder how she felt during the whole Nazi Joseph Stalin era because I didn't hear anything about that time period either. Again, TR, thank you for the uh, heads up. I had no idea that the legendary Helen Keller had this kind of dark past certainly if you're a conservative you're and she's from alabama you, you don't necessarily think of her and being a socialist or a aclu maybe the aclu's vision was not exactly hers which is a terrible metaphor <laughs> since she was blind but maybe it became something that she didn't originally have in mind i don't know but tr thank you for that feedback i honestly had no clue about that portion of helen keller's bio We're going to take a break. We've got some commercial announcements, and then we'll have Hour 3 headed your way on this, The Y'all Show. Thanks for listening. We're in the final hour of this Friday edition of The Y'all Show. It is time for everybody to get those vocal cords going and sing along. It's party crowd. She told me goodbye Well I knew the Lord it was breaking her heart And she was breaking mine So for the sake of her feelings and the sake of my pride I told her not to worry about me So I'm sitting here soaking up the neon lights Misery looking for some company And tonight I'm looking for a party cry Slamming it back And laughing out loud With the smoke so thick The blues can't hang around With the jukebox 
just don't care if they're dancing over here or fighting over there. I'm making the rounds, looking for a party crowd. It'll dawn on me tomorrow, wherever I wake up, I'll look back and try to recall just where the heck's my truck. So take my keys and lock them up tight Let the good times flow And I worry about tomorrow when it comes to light The night's still young And I'm on the road tonight I'm looking for a party cry Slamming them back And laughing out loud where the smoke's so thick When blues can't hang around Like it just don't care if they're dancing over here I'm fighting over there, I'm making the rounds Looking for a party crowd And here we go, the weekend is upon us And here at the Y'all Show on our final hour of our week We have a good time for this little moment we call party crowd Oh, it's August And we want to have a good old time so help me. We can have a good time right now by singing along to David Lee Murphy. And laughing out loud where the smoke's so thick, the brooms can't hang around. Oh yeah, a little louder, a little louder. With the jukebox jumping like it just don't care if they're dancing over here or fighting over there. I'm making the crowns and looking for a party crown. One more time with enthusiasm. I'm looking for a party crowd, slamming them back and laughing out loud where the smoke's so thick, the blues can't hang around. Congratulations to David Lee. He and others like Keith Urban just got installed into the National Songwriters Hall of Fame. Not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> We're back on the Y'all Show. And yeah, if that doesn't put a smile on your face, then that's on you buddy that's definitely on you we're here on the y'all show powered by y'all.com on the program that is truly the south program we broadcast monday through friday if you're just now finding us for the very first time we are a show that is southern in nature and we don't apologize we we definitely lift our head up high when we talk about this part of the world called the South, and we hope that you also get that same feeling of Southern pride that maybe the South is where things happen, that we lead the way in terms of culture, and heck, I would even throw intellect in there if you don't mind. <laughs> I'm not part of that, but we want the rest of the world to know just how awesome Dixie is and here each time we get together on the y'all show I think we do a pretty good job of doing that so thank you everybody for being a part of our little program called the y'all show that you can find on radio stations you can find it in podcast form we're on Spotify the iHeartRadio app the TuneIn app we're also in Apple Podcast and Apple iTunes and at y'all.com thank you for being a part of our program we're doing this show today, and we're having a great time. 
But boy, did we have a great time on our Thursday show where we were on location in Colbert County, Alabama. That is the home of Sheffield, Tuscumbia, and also Muscle Shoals, Alabama, as we were on location. And if you missed any of that feature that we did where we went to the Helen Keller birthplace, we went also to Muscle Shoals Sound Studio, you can go back to those podcast options and check in with our Thursday podcast and get caught up and it's just like you were here all along and we love that so in this section of the Friday show we we get it going with a little fun with David Lee Murphy and then we have another song that we throw in here and what we call the Friday free for y'all and today we're not in Muscle Shoals but we're still going to keep Muscle Shoals on our mind and specifically the Muscle Shoals sound studio because I'm going to play another song here today that was created right there in Sheffield, Alabama at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio because we're going to play not the first recording session they had in there but one of the first recording sessions in Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. We're going to play R.B. Greaves' Take a Letter Maria, a great soul song. going to play that one for you in a second but let me remind you here for a second a little bit about Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. If you missed our Thursday feature, this was a sound studio started in 1969. We just heard in the previous hour all about how it was started on April Fool's Day, 1969, by the four founders of the studio Barry Beckett, Roger Hawkins, Jimmy Johnson, and David Hood. All four of those were members of Rick Hall's fame studios over in the Shoals. And these four had a little financial disagreement with Rick Hall and then branched out and started their own studio, the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio. And these four, commonly known as the Swampers, because of their Muscle Shoals Sound, opened up this studio at 5614, or I'm sorry, is it 56 or 3614? It's on Jackson Highway there in Sheffield, which is not a very long highway. And they opened this up there at 3614. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't read the picture there. It looks like it's a five, but it's actually 3614 Jackson Highway, Sheffield, Alabama. And they opened this up in 1969. Cher was the very first artist to come in there and have a recording session. But it was this guy that we're about to play, R.B. Greaves, who took his song that he recorded in 1969 way up the charts with Take a Letter, Maria. And this was a debut single that was written and recorded by Greaves. Greaves was actually born outside of this country. But he has southern roots for sure. He was born in Georgetown, Guyana. But at one point in his life, lived on a Seminole Indian reservation. And then he's a nephew of Sam Cooke. So those are pretty good genes right there. And when he was born in Guyana, he was actually born on a U.S. Army Air Force's base back in November of 1943. R.B. Greaves lived until the year 2012. He died in California that year at age 68. But this was his debut song that he put out back in the late 1960s, Take a Letter, Maria. And it was released under the name R.B. Greaves, produced by the president of Atlantic Records at that time, Ahmet Erguelen. 
The story is the story. The song is the story of a man who learns of his wife's infidelity and dictates a letter of separation to Maria, his secretary, who the last verse suggests may become his new love. Huh. So a powerful song here from R.B. Greaves. Robert, his name was Ronald Bertram Greaves III. And had success with this song as it hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1969. And this song sold a million copies, earning a gold record certification from RIA. It also reached the top 40 in the early 1970 chart too. So R.B. Greaves with this song recorded at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio and so this was the first big hit, if you will, that came out of that Jackson Highway location in Sheffield, Alabama and here on the Y'all Show we're going to have a little letter of great music coming from R.B. Greaves. Take a letter, Maria. As I got home about a half past ten There was the woman I thought I knew in the arms of another man Kept my cool, I ain't no fool Let me tell you what happened then I packed some clothes and I walked out And I ain't going back again So take a letter, Maria I dress it to my wife Say I won't be coming home Got a start a new life Take a letter, Maria Address it to my wife Send a copy to my lawyer Gotta stop a new life You've been many things But most of all A good secretary to me And it's times like this I feel You've always been close to me Was I wrong to work nights To try to build a good life Or work and no play has just cost me a while So take a letter, Maria No, I press it to my wife Say I won't be coming home Gotta start a new life Take a letter, Maria I press it to my wife Send a copy to my lawyer Gotta have a new life What a man loves a woman it's hard to understand That she would find more pleasure In the arms of another man I never really noticed How sweet you are to me It just so happens I'm free tonight Would you like to have dinner with me? Go take a letter, Maria Address it to my wife Say I'm gonna be coming home and how about that some music from 1969 from rb greaves that was recorded at the muscle shoals sound studio in sheffield alabama the first big hit to come out of that Muscle Shoals Sound Studio and a couple of guys who founded that studio right there playing on R.B. Greaves' song. You had David Hood on bass, Roger Hawkins, one of the co-founders on drums, and 
Barry Beckett on electric piano. Interesting note, one of the vocalists in the background singing behind Greaves, Donna Jean Thatcher. And I didn't know until I was there at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio this week on my tour, I didn't know anything about Donna Jean Godshow is her name now. And she actually started out as a secretary there at or in answering phones at the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio back in the 1960s. And somehow or another, she had a chance to start doing a little singing. And this lady who was born in Florence, Alabama in 1947 ends up getting a chance to sing on some songs like Take a Letter Maria. And next thing you know, she's singing on When a Man Loves a Woman by Percy Sledge. And she's also called by Elvis to sing on Suspicious Minds. She would end up meeting Keith Godshow a Grateful Dead member whom she married in 1970 and moved to California and she got introduced to Jerry Garcia and this lady ends up being a member of the Grateful Dead from Florence, Alabama Donna Jean Godshow and from what I got told the other day she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted in 1994 as a member of the Grateful Dead, she resides. She, she actually lives in the Shoals now. She lives in Killeen, Alabama, which is in Lauderdale, or Killen, rather. Killen, Alabama, in Lauderdale County. Just, I guess it would be upriver from Florence and the city that she was born. And she's an active member of the Muscle Shoals music scene. And she still does some touring. Donna Jean and the Donna Jean Band is what she's doing. But how about that? This lady who went from just being a office person there at Muscle Shoals Sound Studio goes from there to a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a member of the Grateful Dead. Her husband, let's see here if I can't figure this out real quick, uh, Godshow. Keith Godshow, believes, was, was her husband. He died in 1980. Okay, so that explains while she's likely back in Alabama and a widow. But anyway, interesting stories that you can find about music across the Southeast, and I had no idea about the story of this Grateful Dead member, and we salute her, and of course, R.B. Greaves, who we just heard that song, Take a Letter Maria, some really awesome 60s music that we have for us, courtesy of Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Sheffield, Alabama, and uh, all the great songs that came out of that spot there and at fame records just down the street when we come back on the y'all show we have headed your way hashtag i don't believe we're going to go from talking about music to talking about great writing flannery o'connor is the subject and i'll explain why when the y'all show rolls on plus lsu football talk coming up in just a few too Oh, <laughs> 
little Linda for you here on the Y'all Show as we're getting this final hour just about wrapped up here. Going to talk some hashtag hullabaloo in this segment, and then we got LSU football in a big way before we get out of here for the weekend as we'll be walking through the Tigers' 2023 schedule, telling you a little bit about some of the predictions coming in for Brian Kelly's ball club, the defending SEC West champion LSU Tigers, by the way. Tiger bait, tiger bait, tiger bait. Yeah, we'll have all that coming up in just a few minutes here on y'all. But we have this segment of the show devoted to hashtag hullabaloo. And we go to Kathleen Gerard, a writer and bookworm who's active on social media. And she has put up a post that we want to share right here on the y'all show. And she put this up on X and her tweet on X says, truer words were never spoken Long live the spirit of great writer and Catholic Flannery O'Connor. And Kathleen Gerard is essentially retweeting something from Michelle Mayer, who's on X with the account Mary M-A-R 497-43095. I wonder if that's her social security number or her telephone number. Can't figure that one out. <laughs> but that's her account. And her profile says, I am a married Catholic woman who adores the traditional Latin mass. My faith is a blessing, and I am so unworthy for this. However, I will defend it always. So some proud Catholicism coming in on these tweets today. And the reason these ladies are out talking about Catholicism and more is because of Flannery O'Connor, as she has put a a message that Flannery O'Connor wrote and I'm relaying what Michelle Mayer relayed here as this quote from O'Connor reads all fiction is about human nature whenever I'm asked why southern writers particularly have a penchant for writing about freaks I say it is because we still are able to recognize one that from Flannery O'Connor so who was Flannery O'Connor she was a novelist, a short story writer, and an essayist, and she was born in 1925 in Savannah, Georgia. She only lived to be age 39, passing away in the old state capital of Milledgeville, Georgia. She died in 1964, and she was born into a, a Catholic family, and Catholicism ended up being a huge part of her life as her writing reflected that Roman Catholic faith. And she frequently examined questions of Catholicism-defined morality and ethics. After her death, she was posthumously compiled her book, Complete Stories. It won the 1972 U.S. National Book Award for Fiction and has been praised for decades and decades since. She was a Southern writer who often wrote in a sardonic Southern Gothic style as she relied heavily on regional settings and the various characters that make the South come alive. I have not personally read Flannery O'Connery, born Mary Flannery O'Connor, her birth name there. But her family, when she was 15 years old, they moved to Milledgeville from the Savannah area, which is more in the central part of the state. And her father ended up dying just after the move. Her mother and 
Flannery decided to keep staying in Millersville. And her family ultimately moved to a place called Andalusia Farm, which is now a museum dedicated to Flannery O'Connor's work. She went to school at Georgia State College for Women, which is now the Georgia College and State University, graduating in 1945 with a B.A. in Sociology and English Literature. She had a chance to meet Robert Fitzgerald, a well-known translator of the classics, met him, and that helped propel her career forward. Known for her short stories, she published two books of short stories, A Good Man is Hard to Find in 1955, and then she wrote the Everything That Rises Must Converge book as well. Flannery O'Connor. In the summer of 1952, she was diagnosed with systemic lupus, which her father had as well, and she remained from 1950 on 52 on rather she remained on the farm there Andalusia in the Millersville area she lived there and did not leave there for years she died in 1964 so it sounds like she did not leave there for 12 years because of her lupus just a terrible thing there's a PBS documentary about her called Flannery that you might have seen and explains the impact lupus had on her work and in fact they give lupus credit for inspiring her work as writer Alice McDermott said that it was the illness I think which made her the writer she is Flannery O'Connor completed more than two dozen short stories and two novels while living with lupus and her death again happened in 1964 caused by complications from a new attack of lupus following surgery for uterine fibroid she's buried in Millersville at Memory Hill Cemetery so her legacy is that she was one heck of a short story writer and more but also one of the things that made Flannery O'Connor stand out was she was this devout Catholic and for years, in the late 50s and early 60s, she wrote more than 100 book reviews for two Catholic diocesan newspapers in Georgia, The Bulletin and The Southern Cross. And in her writings, she often brought in Catholicism, a prayer journal that O'Connor had kept during her time at the University of Iowa was published in 2013, and it included prayers and ruminations on faith, writing, and her own relationship with God. Flannery O'Connor getting the attention here today because some ladies out on X were talking about her and we thought we would take a moment to introduce you if you're not familiar with her work, Flannery O'Connor, the Savannah-born, Milledgeville-raised. Milledgeville was the town and area that she died in in 1964. And she's considered one of the great Southern writers. And today we give special tribute to her. And we appreciate those on social media who brought Flannery O'Connor's name to our attention on this, the Friday Y'all Show. 
Let's move on here on the Y'all Show and tell you something more on the fun lines. This comes to us from Carrie, which is on X with the account at your underscore mother. And mother has an extra R in there. At your underscore M-O-T-H-E-R-R. And Carrie is a Jesus-loving wife and mama of two and a pet mom to 17. Woo, that's a lot of pets. And Carrie has put out a fun tweet here that we wanted to share with you. And it is a graphic that shows the South's 12 seasons. Did you realize we had 12 seasons here in Dixie? Well, it sure appears that we do, according to this tweet coming from Carrie. Get ready, pen and paper in hand, for the South's 12 seasons. All right? You got winter. Then you got something called Fool's Spring. Then you got a second winter, followed by Spring of Deception. Then comes the third winter. Then comes the pollening. And then actual spring, followed by summer. And then right now we're in what's called Hell's Front Porch. Then you got False Fall. Then Second Summer and then Actual Fall. Those are the 12 seasons that we enjoy here in the South. From winter to actual fall and sprinkled in there you got pollening and spring of deception and then what we're enjoying if you want to call it that right this moment hell's front porch that's a great name for the time period that we're in right now of the year so enjoy hell's front porch y'all right here as we are midway through the month of august We'll take a break here. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to turn our attention to Baton Rouge and to Death Valley because that's where dreams go to die on Saturday nights in the fall. And we'll let you know about Brian Kelly's ball club as they're getting ready for year two. It was a pretty darn good year one for Coach Kelly, who had come over from Notre Dame, leading LSU to the SEC championship game. We'll have a preview of LSU Football 2023 when the Y'all Show wraps up this Friday edition. back here on the y'all show and we have lsu on our mind as the bayou Bengals represent our final school that we're featuring here this week we started earlier in the week with a showcase of north carolina's 2023 season and we moved over from unc to the kentucky wildcats on the wednesday y'all show we told you all about what's going on with the Florida Gators, and then on the Thursday Y'all Show, we told you about the 2023 edition of Baylor Bears football. And today, we're on our fifth stop this week, 
and we're stopping off at Baton Rouge where the LSU Tigers are our featured school and Brian Kelly's ball club looks to get back to Atlanta and maybe even take it a step further and get into the college football playoff. We are the Y'all Show and we are on a journey across all of the Southeast getting you ready for the start of college football in just a few days and we will give you all of the scoop on the big schools and more across the South as we feature one of them each and every day. So today it's all LSU. Go Tigers. I don't know if Brian Kelly goes around saying go Tigers like his predecessor in Baton Rouge once did, but man, it's great to have college football back. And LSU, which again, last year got to the SEC championship. What a tremendous win it was for them to get just past Alabama in overtime and beat them for the first time in a while. And then they collapsed down the stretch, losing to Texas A&M and then getting walloped by Georgia in the SEC championship game. But overall, still a a much better season, LSU fans. Wouldn't you agree last year than what Coach O was doing there at the end of his regime? Of course, LSU, your 2019 national champions of college football. This year, LSU starts its season in the Camping World kickoff in Orlando's Camping World Stadium as they try to get revenge on the Florida State Seminoles. Last year, FSU came to New Orleans and for LSU fans, kind of shocked you there in the Big Easy with a win in the opening weekend of college football 2022. This year, it's the return of this matchup between FSU and LSU, and it's going to be in Orlando on Sunday, September 3rd. This will be the primetime ABC game during the Labor Day weekend of college football. We're going to go through what TigerBait.com has to say about LSU's projections for the 2023 season in a second. But just kind of rattling off real quick the schedule. The home opener at Tiger Stadium is going to be against in-state foe Grambling State on September 9th. The Tigers then pack up their bags again. They're heading to Davis Way to take on Mississippi State on September 16th. The Golden Boot Trophy is not going to be in November this year. It's going to be in late September. Arkansas and LSU get together at Tiger Stadium on September 23rd. The Magnolia Bowl is going to be taking place this year in September as opposed to its traditional late October or November time. LSU and longtime rival Mississippi will be getting together at the Grove at Vault-Hemingway Stadium, and they'll be doing that on September 30th. Mizzou is the opponent as, is that back-to-back weeks? LSU is going to be at Ole Miss September 30th, and they'll be at Old Mizzou on October 7th. LSU's got Auburn coming into Tiger Stadium for a game on October 14th. The Black Knights of West Point. They march down to Baton Rouge and they get into formation and come in for a game on October 21st. The Crimson Tide host LSU at Bryant-Denny on November 4th. Florida and LSU renew their rivalry in Baton Rouge on the 11th of November. Then it's an out-of-conference opponent. The Panthers of Georgia State are the opponent on November the 18th, and then the Saturday after Thanksgiving, the regular season finale, it's the Aggies of Texas A&M coming into Tiger Stadium. And that is a look at the regular season for LSU. Also want to let you know that TigerBait.com has looked at this schedule, and they've come up with some of the thoughts and more about what their 
going to have one of their key players to look for, according to Tiger Bait, is Damian Ramos. He's a place kicker and a sophomore. And last year, he hit 14 field goal tries and was 55 of 57 on extra points. His field goal or his missed PAT, one of those was uh, ended up being the reason that LSU lost to Florida State in the season opener 24-23. Yikes. They've got the key game on the schedule as Alabama. That's November 4th. And that's going to be a big one, big one, big one. As far as what they predict for the schedule, for the total wins and more for LSU in 2023, they see at TigerBait.com a final record for LSU the win total at just over they've got it at 9.5 we'll round up they've got it at 10 10 wins for LSU in 2023 hmm so that means they got two regular season losses are we going to put down Alabama as one of them and I don't know I'm not sure they're going to lose but one game on this schedule I think they could easily get that return victory over A&M they should not lose to Georgia State they ought to beat Florida at home there's no reason they should lose to Army they've got Auburn coming into Baton Rouge with a new coach there's no reason they should lose to them Mizzou's not that great yes Lane Kiffin's going to have Jackson Dart coming into Tiger Stadium for the first time as a Mississippi QB. LSU should win that one. It ought to be a prime time Saturday night game. Arkansas comes into Baton Rouge. I don't see MSU and Starkville as a big challenge, but there is a new coach. That's a, that, here's the reason that one might be scary. They've already announced the kickoff for that LSU-Mississippi State game. It's going to be an early game, and those are never good if you're an LSU fan. Those are That's going to be the good old Jefferson Pilots uh, traditional time period of the time that Mississippi State, Mississippi, and Vanderbilt always got that good old 11 o'clock central time kick. That's when this one's going to be when LSU and Mississippi State get together on the 16th of September. And I think they'll be able to knock off Grambling State, pretty sure. So, I look, Tiger Bait, I know you're actually biased toward the Bayou Bengals, but I think you're I think you're a little off there. I'd say win total more like 11 for LSU. So yeah, LSU fans, go ahead and get your national championship tickets. Brian Kelly doing a good job. Speaking of Coach Kelly, let's go in and hear from practice earlier in the week, him talking about his football team, how they practice, and how things are looking along the bayou. Here is the second year head coach of the LSU Tigers, Brian Kelly. Again, we got a long way to go. Uh, we've got to continue to work on our conditioning level uh, in these elements, and looks like the uh, the weather is going to cooperate. Looking at the long range weather, I think uh, we're in for a very warm August. So I think this is going to continue, and we'll be smart, we'll be careful with our guys, um, but we're going to continue to uh, build on uh, what we need to do uh, to be ready for you know our opener in Orlando, which I can guarantee is is going to be uh, extremely warm. So with that, I'll open up the questions. 
Hey, Coach Rivera. Uh, Matthew Bruni on three. Uh, the cornerback position uh, with guys like Ashton Stamps, LaTerrence Welsh getting re reps, uh, Deuce Chestnut, just what have you seen from all of them as you continue to evaluate? Yeah, I think I see what you guys see. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, Deuce is a guy that's got a lot of football, uh, you know, Power 5 football. Um, he's played a lot of winning football. He's competitive, smart. Um, and so you're getting, you know, you're getting a veteran player there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he had the, the surgery, so we didn't see a lot of him in the spring. But, you know, the things that really stood out for us in our evaluation was that he was a, a smart player, savvy, short tackler, and was always around the ball. And, and that's starting to kind of show itself here in, early on in camp. And, again, we're, we're five days in, so I'm not ready to – you know, make any kind of bold statements, but he's making progress. LT is, you know, I think he's built on, you know, his his spring performance. His spring game was outstanding. He's had a, a great um, summer, and um, he continues to, to get better each and every day. Ashton's a true freshman who put on, you know, a lot of weight. Uh, I think many of you remember us recruiting him. He was a bit, um, I would say, underweight at, at, at the position for us and and you know we were um excited about his competitiveness and his athleticism but we challenged him to get after it in the weight room and he certainly did in the off season and then this summer and he looks the part um, he's doing a really good job as a true freshman all right that was head coach brian kelly of the lsu tigers at his media presser and his availability that he had earlier in the week as his tigers again inching closer to the start of the 2023 season where they will begin at Camping World Stadium in Orlando on that Sunday night of Labor Day weekend. It's FSU and LSU. Going to be a good one. 6.30 Bayou Bengal time. That would be central time when this one gets kicked off on ABC. The return of college football is just days away. And as we wrap up our college football spotlight for this Friday... Talking more about LSU, we got to talk about the traditions of Louisiana State University, and specifically when it comes to football. And one of the great traditions is night games inside Tiger Stadium. This is a tradition that goes all the way back to 1931 when LSU played Spring Hill, and they got the big, big victory over Spring Hill, 35 zip in 1931. Other traditions that Tiger Stadium also has a nice little moniker, Death Valley. And that comes in 1959 when LSU got that nickname for Tiger Stadium. Death Valley, where dreams come to die. Yeah. Other traditions of LSU include the Tiger mascot, the live Tiger, and the real Tiger, Mike the Tigers, who we're talking about. That is a certainly a wonderful game day thing that LSU has. The tailgating outside of Death Valley is to behold. Of course, Louisiana is going to have wonderful food from all the great Cajun dishes and more. And you can find that at an LSU football game. Also, you have as a tradition the Golden Girls from Tigerland. That's the kind of ladies out there on the field with the band that are so beautiful. I mean absolute stunning seeing those LSU Golden Girls and then love the 
fans getting involved. They've got the taunt of tiger bait that they yell at opposing fans. Then they have the chant that they reserve for their biggest rival historically at LSU. That would be the Johnny Rebs of Ole Miss. And LSU fans love to say, go to hell, Ole Miss. And LSU gets the return back to them from the fans in red and blue that say, go to hell, LSU. It's a great tradition between these two schools. Also, you've got the five-yard lines that LSU has. They have the markings on not just on the 10, 20, 30. They got them on every single freaking line going up. Somebody spends a lot of extra money on paint within the LSU athletic department. They also wear white jerseys for the most part at home. The Chinese bandits is a great tradition at LSU. And just the, the goal poster, a tradition there. They are chock full of tradition in Baton Rouge. And today we are extremely happy to tell you all about LSU football as it gets ready for its 2023 season. We'll have a whole slew of new schools to tell you about next week when we get together on the Y'all Show. As we wrap up this hour of the Y'all Show, I want to let you know that you've got NFL preseason games taking place on this Friday. And games today include Packers and Bengals, Giants and Lions, Falcons, Dolphins, Steelers and Buccaneers get together, Commanders and Browns, as well as Broncos and Cardinals. That's the Friday lineup of the NFL. The golfers are in Memphis. It is the FedEx St. Jude, and that's going down. It's the first of the big playoff matches. Jordan Spieth got the round one lead, and one of the other stories coming out of this tournament is that Colin Morikawa is pledging $1,000 per birdie to go to the aid of Maui as that island in our great state of Hawaii is really suffering from wildfires and more. So we wish him and all the other golfers in Memphis the best. Thank you for tuning in to Y'all Show. We will be back here Monday with a program all about the South. Until then, y'all have a great week. This show powered by y'all.com. We'll see you Monday.